trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docuseries highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policy enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on Lockdowns and Liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at The Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the Liberty Movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholshow.com forward slash follow the science. We can become great at doing the, the things that we do well, the things that are, we focus on. Like I'm, I think our audience is great at selling liberty. I think we have yeah. been amazing at doing that. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the liberty movement. You start to ask questions that piques interest and get him to feel like, okay, this guy's actually got something that maybe can help me out. And then in your asking of questions and trying to uncover the real problems, build that natural trust. I know I went in the monologue there, man. (laughs) Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Wednesday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining us on, of course, today's fun-filled episode. I am your humble host, and today we are joined by sales legend Victor Antonio. Now, Victor started off from a poor upbringing from one of the roughest areas in Chicago, but that didn't stop him from building a 20-year career as one of the top sales executives in the world and became president of global sales and marketing for a $420 million company. As vice president of international sales in a Fortune 500, he was selected from over 500 sales managers to join the president's advisory council for excellence in sales and management. He is the author of 13 books on sales and motivation and recently launched the Sales Mastery Academy platform with over 350 plus videos. He recently published his brand new book, Sales Ex Machina, How Artificial Intelligence is Changing the World of Selling. And I know him so well, as does my sales team, because we see him over on Will Barron's This Week in Sales, as well as his awesome podcast, The Sales Influence Podcast, Finding the why in why people buy. And Victor joins the program today to outline what it is that we're trying to sell. And that is, at the end of the day, change. How so? Guess you'll have to stick around to find out more. So that being said, on to the show, Victor Antonio here on The Brian Nichols Show. Brian, super excited to be here, man. Super excited. 
So excited to have you on, Victor. I was saying beforehand as we were talking uh, before we hit the record button, you're easily one of the top influential people, not only in my sales career, but I would dare say hundreds, if not thousands of other people out there who listen not only to you over on a variety of podcasts. I know I was speaking, a lot of my sales team will recognize you because I have uh, your appearances over on Will uh, Barron's Selling Made Simple and This Week in Sales uh, Mm -hmm. every week as part of our our rotation for personal development, but also your amazing podcast, Finding the Why and Why People Buy. Victor Antonio, uh, first and foremost, welcome to the program. Let's start off. I think my audience would love to learn Number one, why are you a self-described rabid capitalist and Ayn Rand fan? Oh, man, that's oh, that's a big question, the way you phrase that one. So uh, family history, uh, family was uh, from, originally from Puerto Rico. Uh, they moved to Chicago, where I was born in the late uh, 50s. And so, you know, uh, b- back in the day, it was basically, you know, you know, bootstrapping it the whole way. And so my mother was always about, you know, go to school, get the education, get the JLB. So I graduated, got an engineering degree, MBA, moved into corporate America. I've worked for, you know, government companies. I have nothing against that. I've worked for unions, kind of have something against that. And I remember that, true story, Brian, I'm not making this part up. I, What happened was I graduated from college, right? And I don't know if this happened to you maybe, but I started working, right? And three years into my working career, I'm like, you know, I, I call it a quiet discontent. And that is like, you know, how you're just not lined up. You just don't feel like you're in the right place. You know yep. what I mean? I, and so it was then that I had, I don't want to call it an existential crisis because that, that's too extreme. But, you know, it's like, you know, you start going through what's this life all about, you know, type of thing. And I remember I started, I began my reading. I started reading the philosophers like, you know, like the existentialists, uh, read uh, the uh, social economics uh, folks over. I went to economics like Heilbron and read that. And I remember I, I was reading almost everything I can consume to try to understand, kind of make sense of the world, right? And again, different philosophers, uh, metaphysics, even went to as far as, you know, like questions with Zen master by Taishin Deshimaru, right? Just trying to find the meaning of life. And it wasn't until I came across Ayn Rand's book for the new intellectual. I remember buying that book going, what is this? And I remember I picked up the book, went home, started reading it. And the more I read Ayn Rand and her philosophy of objectivism and more specifically her view of capitalism and what she calls real capitalism, not crony capitalism, you know, um, one that's concerned with externalities, never hurt anybody. Just make sure if you're going to do your thing, do your thing, make sure it doesn't impact other people. And her whole equation about value for value, you know, that's to me, that's the Ayn Rand philosophy. It's value for value. Every relationship should be about a value for value exchange. And I, and I loved her book. I just, I just got into it. And then I just started consuming everything Rand, you know, <laughs> and I, I literally can tell you that when I found Ayn Rand, it was like, it's like the, you know, we all look at life through our own lens or prism, right? Uh, depending on which way you want to look at it, but I'll call it the lens. And I think Ayn Rand gave me the most focused lens that really fit with my internal philosophy at the time and still does to this very day. So interesting, because I think you're going to find a lot of people, especially in the greater sales world. And I'm hearing this. This is kind of what sparked this conversation mm. originally in my mind, because I think there is a natural synergy between the sales entrepreneurial world and this greater, I would dare say, let's just call it the the liberty freedom world, where to your Mm -hmm. point, more of this objectivist capitalist free market, Mm -hmm. live and let live, uh, to to quote the one Dr. Adrian Bajan to go through the constructal law, let things move freely through life as they Mm -hmm. would want to go. And that is freely. So 
you're starting to see, I think, more and more people embrace this idea. And now my role I'm finding in this greater world is to try and bridge these two worlds together. So Mm -hmm. let me ask you this, Victor, because I see a lot of sales professionals overtly stay away from politics. I've actually had quite a few sales professionals say, listen, Brian, I appreciate the invite, but I just don't like to go on political shows because I don't like to get involved in politics. How can we help get that, uh, I guess, get that objection blocked or overcome that objection entirely? Well, you know, and the thing is, I think people have become, you know, I mean, given today's culture, right, or I should say, you know, the uh, the, the zeitgeist out there of cancel culture, I think what happens is that people have pulled back from having real dialogue. If we really think about it, Brian, if we really think about this, let, let's, let's put aside the red team, blue team thing for a second, right? And if we were to just sit down and have a rational conversation, I bet we as human beings, Americans more specifically, would probably agree on like 95, 98% of the things we want. We really would. I think when you look at politics, it's really philosophy and approach, right? One is more, you know, oriented towards government control, right? Which, in other words, if the government can provide this type of social engineering for the better of society, great. That's what they believe. We believe in the free market, you know, Adam Smith, you know, wealth of nations type of approach where, you know, uh, like I'm a Milton Friedman fan. You know, that Ayn Rand led me to Milton Friedman, you know, free to choose. And, you know, when you look at Friedman's... um, he did a documentary called Free to Choose years ago, and it's on YouTube. I mean, it's just one of the best series on, you know, uh, as Ayn Rand would say, the virtues of capitalism. Uh, you know, it, when, when, I talk, when people talk about politics, I think we're trying to get to the same place. And I think, it, you know, the, the conversation has become toxic because it's, a, you know, it's you versus them. And I don't, I don't like to look at it that way. I think there's like a, like a Venn diagram. There's an overlap of things we all want. It's just how do you get there? What makes more sense? And, you know, the thing is, you have to, I mean, the big premise is, do you believe that government has your best interests in mind and can do better for you than you yourself? It kind of goes against the founding of this country, if you think about it. Well, not only does it go against the founding of the country, I would say it goes a lot of against the founding of the very rules that we learned as we were growing up. Number one, treat mm-hmm. people the way you want to be treated. Number two, don't hurt people and right. don't take their stuff. I mean, that was pretty much the <laughs> right. rules. Basic, right. Basic rules, right? Don't take their stuff. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Mind your own business. You know, again, I I, I think I gravitated towards Ayn Rand because uh, her other equation was A equals A. It is what it is. It's objective reality, right? And I've always loved the fact that she was really about, you know, if, if, if capitalism is hurting, if there are some externalities, means you're hurting, you know, society, you're hurting the economy, uh, the, the environment, that's not real capitalism. I think people, uh, I guess, confuse crony capitalism with real capitalism. And I think therein lies. But if, we, if we're really honest about it, Brian, there's never been a pure capitalist society. We've always had a mixed economy, right? And it's it's what that blend is, what that mix is, what we're always, I guess, debating. And you know, this goes down a long, a deep rabbit hole when you start getting into the you know the Federal Reserve currency system, the fiat system, and all that stuff. And I think it scares a lot of people to go down that rabbit hole because you you kind of don't want to see it because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I think a lot of people avoid, to, I guess, to your question, the topic because. It's not a simple discussion to have. And I think when you're having this discussion with somebody else, the person has to be, and I don't know how else to say it, but a certain intellectual level to be able to have a decent discourse about what this really means. Yep. Uh, I think too often we have, you know, we have that, you know how some people just vote along one issue. We have a lot of one issue voters who don't look at the full spectrum of everything that's out there and how it impacts. And most people don't under- understand unintended consequences and what happens when the free market isn't allowed to be free. Yeah. And one of the lines you just said, once you see it, 
you can't unsee it. I, I almost, as we kind of segue this towards the, the sales process, this is sometimes one of the hardest things that we have to do in getting our prospects to acknowledge that the status quo isn't working. And not only is it not working, in many cases, it's causing a problem. It's giving them some type of pain. And I see this a lot too, is that a lot of people are, they're aware that something is wrong. They can mm-hmm. sense right now in the world, something's off. Right. But to your point, they almost don't want to label. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. the thing I have been embracing for my entire life that we have been saying has been the only way to conduct society for the past you know, 250 years. And it's almost like a sunken cost fallacy, you, mm-hmm. if you really think about it, because I think a lot of people don't want to get rid of the notion that they've invested all the time, energy, effort in going for supporting candidate here mm-hmm. or supporting political party here. All of a sudden, they would have to take a really big step back and face a really tough reality that the mm-hmm. solutions that they thought that they were voting for that would make things better have not only not made things better, mm-hmm. but are in fact the very pain points that they're trying to solve in the first place. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. You talk about the sunk cost fallacy, and I, I think that's a great point. That some people mentally are so bought in and invested into something that they don't, that they can't just give it up, right? They just have to kind of keep going with that. And, and because what happens is that, you know, from a psychological standpoint, it causes them cognitive dissonance, right? Cognitive dissonance is like, you know, I thought I was going for this, but now this is happening, so I have to find a way to resolve it in my brain or rationalize it. And we all know what rationalize stands for, right? The ability to rationalize to yourself. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of people do. You know, they rationalize things. They, they, they basically lie themselves to kind of align things up. I'll give you an example, and I'm just going to keep parties out of it, just keep them general. And that is, I'll just say, you know, during one president, I remember somebody says, you know, look at the debt. It's out of control. Look at the debt. It's out of control, right? That was what party A, right? And then the next term, party B was it, and they're starting to run up the debt. And I remember I said, what about now? It's your party in charge. Uh, the debt's still being run up. Yeah, but they're doing it for different reasons, Victor. And I said, what? What you, wait a minute, the debt is the debt. It's a bad thing. It's never a good thing. It keeps going up. But I, I, that to me taught me that people will rationalize their point of view because it's just very difficult to admit, again, that uh, whether it's mentally the sunk cost fallacy, as you say, there's so much sunk cost vested in that position, in that view, that it's causing them so much cognitive distance to actually admit that maybe they're not seeing it for what it is. And I think a lot of people retreat from that. So how do we fix it? And I think that's the biggest question. And this has been really the reason that my show has taken Mm. on this more sales and marketing approach for Mm. the greater world of politics, because I think a lot of people right now, Victor, they're, they're starting to say, yeah, back to the point, things are off. And we have people who are looking to try and be communicators or trying to be advocates Mm. for a different solution. But I think they're they're finding a little bit of a difficulty in trying to almost break through those original objections they have. So I really wanted to have you on to reverse engineer because with your podcast, the Sales Influence Podcast, one of the things you focus on is digging into the why and why mm-hmm. people buy. And I think that's really important right now when we're trying to reach our prospective voters or at the very least get people to pay attention to the solutions we're bringing to the table. So what would you say? is the best way to start off in trying to reverse engineer your average American voter. This is really interesting. I've never thought of merging the two together. I find this a fascinating topic. The Let's look at what's happening in the world of selling today, and let's see if we can bridge it over uh, to the world of politics and see mm-hmm. how that could happen. And that is, we know today that, you know, 
there's so much content out there. You know, I'll divide sales into pre-internet and post-internet, you know, kind of a two, two period, two eras. And pre-internet, we, the salespeople, had the partners. We had all the information. They didn't. They were willing to meet with us, the buyer, the client, the prospect. And so they were willing to kind of listen to us and we can guide them, consultative selling, all that good stuff, right? Fast forward, we have the internet. Now, not only do we have the internet, we have information that's out there. Not only do we have information, we have insight, which is information beyond the obvious, right? That's more information. And then now you have buyers who are 60, 70, 80, 90% into the buying cycle, uh, depending who you talk to. And when they finally do call you, because they've done their research online, like we all have, right? They want to know three things, confirmation, clarification, or confidence. Let me go through that real quickly. I'm calling you, Brian, because I, I researched your company, and I just want to clarify certain things, right? That's one reason I'm calling. Two, I want to confirm that it can do this or you do offer that. But the third one I think is the most important one. I want you, Brian, to give me the confidence that I'm making the right decision. So I'm talking to you, asking these questions about my problem and what I'm trying to solve. I want to know that you can clarify, you can confirm, but you can also give me, imbue me with that confidence that this is the right decision. Now, this is interesting because what's happening is that marketing now, I believe, I used to laugh at marketing. I, it was that John Wanamaker line, 50% of my marketing works. I just don't know which 50%, right? <laughs> and so and so that was a famous line, kind of shiving the, uh, the old marketing people like, you don't know what you're doing, you're wasting money. And we also know that the majority of marketing literature or collaterals produced are never even actually used by salespeople, right? So- but I think their time has come. Their time has come. When you look at what's happening with, you know, I wrote the book, Sales Ex Machina, How AI is Changing the World of Selling. When you look at what's happening now, the buyer journey now is about finding stuff online on our own. So now, uh, if I can put it in Randian terms, we have a certain agency of certain freedom to find the information we want. And we begin to form our preferences online, then we reach out. So, Let's tie this back. So if that's happening, marketing now has a more prominent position. I believe marketing now officially puts the ball on the tee. When the client calls calls in, the salesperson has to hit it off the tee. That's what I believe is happening today. Marketing now, I believe, has a more prominent role than sales. That's almost like blasphemy when I say that to people. They get all upset. <laughs> what? what do you mean? Marketing is more important. I'm saying, yes. I'm saying, yes. I'm a sales guy. And I'm telling you right now, marketing is more important than sales. If it's done right, of course. Does this mean salespeople are no longer needed? It's not what I said. Marketing plays a more prominent role in conditioning the buyer to call in. Once they call in, you still have to close the deal. We as salespeople have now become, okay, here's why I go for the old, you know, getting the best graces of salespeople at this point. Salespeople are now the ultimate differentiators. Here's what I mean by that. Every product is almost the same. Every service is almost the same. We've reached a level of parity when it comes to service product solutions, right? So now it's really up to the salesperson to frame that conversation, that last 10% that last, that last, let's just say 10 yards of completion is all about the salesperson. How can you position? How can you position the product or service? How can you make the customer feel comfortable in making that final oomph buying decision? That's where sales now plays, right? That's their, that's their dominion. Now, let's move over to politics, right? It's the same thing. Uh, there, there is a content war out there. You know this, I know there's a content war out there, right? It's a battle for the minds. And so what's happening is people are going online and I think what needs to start happening is that we need to start creating, I'll say, content generator creators who are not trying to give us opinion, but trying to lay out the facts without the emotion. And I think, you know, I guess eventually there are going to be some websites. I believe we're in, by the way, I think we're just in the throes of social media disruption, right? I mean, you got to think about it. It's only been around for, what, 10, 15 years, if that and all of a sudden, we're trying to understand this thing, right? We thought more communications would bring us together. We're finding out that more communication is actually pulling us apart. 
And, and, and I think this is a period of, you know, this, this, this turbulent times. Uh, remember the, um, the economist, the Austrian, Aust- I think he's Austrian economist, Joseph Schumpeter. And he talked about creative destruction. And I think social media is, is that creative destruction, that new piece of technology that's disrupting how all the communication channels are being handled. And I think we're still in that. There's this chaos before the order. And, you know, eventually Twitter's going to learn that you just can't censor people, right? Twitter's going to learn that one way or another. They're going to learn that. Facebook will learn it. Instagram will learn it. But it's going to take time before all this kind of straightens itself out. And I think in the long run, all of a sudden we start stratifying and get into something that's more like, okay, these are the channels that are going to provide reliable information. I like to believe that that is true. Uh, I've yet to see a lot of channels that provide objective information without getting emotional. I find myself, I don't know about you, Brian, but I find myself watching international news more to learn about the U.S. than watching U.S. news. It's always fun watching you with your when you're on with Will, uh, Will Barron. And for folks who don't watch or, or enjoy oh, Will, Will's show, yeah, he's from the United Kingdom. So his context of American politics is so fun because it's completely mm-hmm. removed from the emotional outrage you see on the left and the right. Correct. And it's just completely, you know, it, it's his objective look at what's happening over in America. And more often than not, he's going, what's happening over, yeah. over what across guys, the what pond? Guys, what are you guys right. doing over there? What are you, what, what's happening over there? And, you know, it's really been interesting, I think, over the last, you, you know, pre-pandemic, especially, you know, during the pandemic and still, you know, the, the stuff that's on the news, I would never have imagined, you know, uh, growing up. You know, I'm a product, you know, I was born early 60s, right? So I'm the end of the baby boomer generation. And I remember uh, when we moved to Chicago, it was around that time I was like nine or 10 years old. There was a lot of civil unrest in in, in Chicago because Chicago is very, at that time is a, and probably still is, a polarized, but I'll say back then it was very racially polarizing, right? Uh, and so there was a lot of unrest, uh, a lot of riots, a lot of gang violence and all that. And I would never have imagined that we can live in an era where we have all the opportunities around us to be who we want to be type of thing. And we're still complaining about it. That blows me away. I can say that, uh, you know, from a Hispanic point of view, I hate that by the way. Uh, Cause I like to think of myself as an American first of Hispanic origin. You know what I mean? I don't like that Hispanic for, it just bothers me, you know? Uh, and so I think until we transcend that, because I believe we have to transcend that. I think there's only one way. You know, I wish, you know, if I if I could be president for a day and they say, all right, Vic, you can pass one law, just one, what would it be? I got it. I got it. Eliminate the boxes. Eliminate the boxes. Okay. It's not about, are you Native American? Are you Asian? Are you white? Are you this? Are you that? Eliminate the boxes. Uh, American, non-American. Take your pick. You just get two options. And that's the way I would do it because I think, you have to be that way. I'm often asked, you know, you know, you know, my success, you know, you know, how did you do it, Victor, type of thing. And early on, I learned to transcend. I didn't look at myself as a minority, you know, Hispanic. I just looked at myself as an American. I transcend. I, when I'm in a conversation, I transcend. I don't want to pick sides. I don't want to say blue team, red team, you know, brown shirt, white shirt, black shirt. I don't want to do that. And so I've always refused to do that. And I've learned over time that that's the best position to have because we're all in this together, man. You know what I mean? And I wish oh, more yeah. people would get there because it's, I don't know. I don't, you know, dude, I've seen racism, man. Growing up, trust me, man, I've seen it. And if you're a product of the 60s and the 70s, you've seen it. I know, I, you, especially in Chicago, you know, you've seen it. And for that to be the, ac- the accusations made today, I'm going, what reality are you living in, man? I said, really? I mean, they're stupid people. Let's call them stupid. 
Because there's, there's, you know, there's stupid people and then there's real racists. And I think a lot of people are just ignorant and stupid. That's big difference. There's a big difference. And by the way, you'll find them in all shades. Every, I mean, if you think about it, maybe I'm just going off on a small rant here. But if you look at any country in the world, they've all had slaves. Word slave comes from Slavs. Slavs, I believe, are white, right? And so if you look at the history of the world, you know, races have it enslaved other races. In fact, same races have enslaved their race. You know what I mean? And, and so sometimes I wish school systems would give us a broader view of, and, and real context of, of what's going on in the world. And I think when people do that, you, you have a greater sense of appreciation for what we have here in the United States. Every time I travel international and I come back, I'm like, glad to be home, Do you know? And I, I, it blows me away that people don't see that. And I think it's because a lot of people don't travel international. I, I remember reading one time, Brian, it was a stat. I don't know if it still holds, but it was an interesting stat nonetheless. I think it was 20, 25% of the population here in the U.S. has a passport. That means 75% don't, which means 75% will never see anything outside the U.S. And all you got to do is step outside this bad boy and look at the world. And then you want to go, eh, maybe I'll go back. You know, And you realize we're not that bad. We have issues. We all have issues. Every country has issues. The thing is, I mean, this is, in my opinion, one of the freest countries in the world, if not the freest country. Yeah. Well, and, and at the end of the day, I think we really have to put the context back into play because mm-hmm. to your point, and I've seen this myself, I, I was in an Uber back before the pandemic hit and I was speaking to my Uber driver and I would just small talk and something came up where he had mentioned like, oh, wow, we're, we're really getting north. And I'm thinking like, we're, we're like not even five miles north of Philadelphia at this point. <laughs> and um, he goes, yeah, the furthest I'd been was, was um, he said, yeah. it was like Willow Grove. And I was like, are you serious? Like, that's that's not even 45 minutes I, out of I Philadelphia. I, but I believe that, Brian. The thing is, when my parents came to Chicago, they, they didn't know how to drive. Like, mm. drive. And so we never had a car. We never owned a car growing up. And so we would always take the bus. I remember living in Chicago the first time. Uh, so I got one of my, my first summer jobs, you know, during my college uh, college years, my first internship uh, to, to move to Minnesota. Right. No, it was Burns Harbor, Indiana uh, for Bethlehem Steel. And I'm driving outside of Chicago. So I get past like 57th Street or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, green. I'm like, whoa, look at this. You know, for the average person, like, yeah, yeah it's a farm. And I was like, look, but look at all this green. And I remember that being a lot. And so there's a lot of people who live in this hermetically sealed bubble called, you know, urban areas that never see anything outside of that. And that's unfortunate. Because I think once you see something, again, once you see it, you can't unsee, you can't unsee it. it. Yeah. And, well, and you know what's funny, Victor? And I don't mean to interrupt, but like the no. also the inverse is true because I originally was from upstate New York, which essentially is a rural bubble. Um, and sure. I mean, I there are people sure. up there, Victor, I've known for my entire life, and I've kn- my family has known their families for their entire mm. lives, and it goes back grandparents, great grandparents, great great grandparents, and they all have been in this one area. That's and right. I, I will say I am incredibly blessed, not necessarily to the chance <laughs> to travel around the world, but the, the fact that I've been able to leave the, the rural area, the rural bubble, get into an urban bubble, experience that and mm. to kind of see almost two different worlds and where they're talking, not at each other, but past each other. I and think I think, it. yeah, and this goes, I think maybe as we like look at how we can bring this together, you mentioned, I love the analogy that marketing sets the, the ball, the tee. For us mm-hmm. to knock it out of the park. And I think mm-hmm. the differentiator, Victor, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. We did an entire series on this in the show, and it was about empathy. Empathy in sales in digging into the actual motivi- uh, motivating 
behavioral drivers of the person that you're selling to. Sure. I think being able to have marketing say, this is the person you want to talk to because based on the data we have, based on mm-hmm. now we've set the T-ball right uh, up for you to knock it out of the park. And for the salesperson to now take that person, that, that, that prospect, and use the empathy and really dig in as a real authentic person, be genuinely curious, want to learn about that person, how they got to where they are and where they want to be. I think that can almost be the, the secret sauce, if you will, in trying to bring this world of sales into the world of politics. Thoughts? Oh, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, any conversation is all about it. Once, once the other person knows you're trying to understand them, you call it a genuine curiosity. Once they know that, there, there, there's a difference. Like when you're trying to understand somebody's world, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a wonderful compliment. It makes the other person feel great. But here's a small caveat. I shouldn't say but. I should and the other person should have the same genuine curiosity. Too often, the empathy piece runs one way. I'm just talking about in, in, in a social sphere, not in sales, because obviously the the uh, the person you're selling to doesn't care who you really are, kind of. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when, when, when you're having a, what I call a full duplex empathy dialogue, where both people are really sharing their experiences, and, you, and all of a sudden you start finding differences, but you also find some similarities, right? And I think that can happen in the world of selling, too. You're exchanging ideas. You're in that conversation fold, you know, that full duplex flow with whatever C-level person, decision maker, influencer. And then, I mean, that's kind of the state you want to be in. The other person across the table, once they know that you know what they're going through and once they know that you understand them, they're more likely to want to do business with you. You know, I I came up with this trust formula. This is my version of a trust formula. Uh, And I said, because I was trying to understand, you know, people always, if I asked, you know, how do you define trust? People could never really get it. It never made sense to me until I kind of just, you know, kind of figured it out my way so I can see the world through, again, my, my optics. And I think it has three components, and it's almost like a Venn diagram where they overlap is the ideal sweet spot for trust. The first one hits your point, which is empathy. Take their point of view. I call it POV. You take their point of view. You get it. You understand them. And I always say it's, it's almost like you're puking with them. You understand their pain, right? And so if I can empathize, understand your point of view, that's step one, the first bubble in the Venn diagram. Number two, I have to position myself as a subject matter expert. I have to transmit to you, the prospect, that I know what I'm talking about and I'm here to help you. I have the answers. I can guide you to the, you know, the product promise land. Number three, <clears throat> excuse me, is best interest in mind. So if I understand your point of view, if I demonstrate my expertise, but more importantly, I have your best interest in mind, more specifically, I have your best financial interest in mind, then if I can blend all those three, then I create this trust factor because that's what customers want. Let me know you understand me, point of view. Two, demonstrate that you know what the heck you're talking about. Number three, have my best interest in mind. In other words, don't oversell me, don't undersell me, just sell me. That's what I think trust is today. Well, how about that, folks? See, now my my audience, they've been conditioned, Victor, mm. for you to be on the show because for the past year or so, we've really taken a change in the program. It used to be more of a traditional interview format. I would ask questions and the person would give mm. answers. And I got to the point where I said, we got to do something different. We got to yeah. change things Shake up and it make up. it, it, up. Yeah. it get up. out of our bubbles, right? Get yeah. out of our echo chambers. Start talking to people who we aren't talking to already. And right. this is what we do in sales every single day. We go to our customers. Wait, just kidding. They're not our customers, right? That's the difference. We're not going to just your customers and going farming. You're going hunting. You have to find new customers. You have to grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. So 
I think it's important for us to, to make sure that we are bridging these two worlds together. So I cannot thank you enough for bringing your sales acumen and expertise to the program. And for obviously the folks who are listening to the program and they're saying, okay, Brian, I get it. This whole sales thing, it, it definitely is something I need to be paying more attention to. Victor Antonio, where can folks go ahead and follow you to continue the conversation? Well, two things. Uh, first, you can find me at victorantonio.com or just at Victor just at Victor Antonio all over social media. But but I, I, I want to let folks know to really put a button on this thing, close it down nicely, is that selling is all about really, it, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. That's what you're selling. Because once you buy a product or solution or service, you now have to change. The person has to change in terms of behavior. For example, if I sell you a CRM, you're going to change behavior. If you buy some type of, I don't know, a new camera, you're going to change behavior in how you do things. So people are afraid of change. And that's whether it's in politics or sales, that's what we do. But the, the key p- point that I want to make is that salespeople, your job is to obviously sell the change. That's the easy part. But at the same time, you have to learn how to reduce anxiety. How do you reduce the receiver's anxiety, the prospect or the client's anxiety? And if you can do that, whether in sales or in politics, push your position, sell it, but also reduce their anxiety by saying, hey, here's how it works. Here's how it's going to roll out. Here's why this may help you. Then people are more receptive to your message. Victor Antonio, it has been a pleasure. We'll include all of your links in the show notes, folks. If you want to go ahead and continue the conversation and learn more, Click the artwork in your podcast catcher, and it will bring you not only to the Brian Nichols Show website where you can find all of our 300 and I think 50 plus episodes at this point, but also you will have all the transcriptions there uh, available for for you, audience, because I care and I want to make sure it's easy for you to find. So with that being said, thank you folks, uh, folks for joining us on today's episode of the Brian Nichols Show. That being said, Victor Antonio, thank you for joining the program. Thank you. Who doesn't like going out and having a glass of wine and celebrating liberty. Well, if you're in Alameda County, don't worry. I have an amazing event for you coming up on Sunday, October 3rd at 1 p.m., the 15th annual Wine and Liberty Celebration at Westover Vineyards Winery, sponsored by the Libertarian Party of Alameda County. Questions, email Elizabeth Stump, LPAC, Vice Chair at Vice Chair at LPAC.us. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with the one and only Victor Antonio. Victor, thank you for joining the program, and thank you to the amazing audience here for joining us on today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode as much as I did and got as much value, well, please do us a favor. Make sure you go ahead and share the episode, and when you do, go ahead and tag Victor and give yours truly a tag as well at B Nichols Liberty. And folks, if you want to go ahead and find out anything we talked about on today's episode, Go ahead to your podcast catcher, click the artwork, it'll bring you right to the Brian Nichols Show website, go to our uh, episodes page, you can find all the show notes as well as an entire transcription of today's episode, including all the links from Victor's uh, profile as well as all of his social media as well. So, with that being said, coming up here on Thursday, Jeremy Todd returns to the program for a one-on-one sales solo with you the amazing audience here at The Brian Nichols Show. So make sure you're not missing that awesome one-on-one. Hit that magical subscribe button so you're not missing a single time a brand new episode goes live. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for sales legend Victor Antonio. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.